This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. The finals of the FIFA Women's World Cup took place last Sunday, in which Spain defeated England 1-0 in a hard-fought match. However, what we're going to be discussing today is an incident that took place after the match, in which President of the Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, has been on the receiving end of criticisms after he kissed striker Jenny Hermoso on the lips following the Spanish team's victory. The kiss was delivered on stage during the official post-match ceremony. Now, on a live stream afterwards, Jenny Hermoso said that she, and I quote, didn't like it, but later she appeared to have changed the stance a little bit, calling it a, and I quote, natural show of affection. Now, Spanish socialist politician Adrian Barbon characterised it as an absolute lack of respect and an abuse that neither the moment nor the euphoria nor the joy justifies. So I think there is a lot to unpack here, such as the European cultural context, but more importantly, the basic idea of consent and what that means when there is an imbalance in power dynamics. Joining me on the show to help me make sense of everything is Lillian Koch. She's the program manager at the All Women's Action Society. Awam, welcome to the show, Lillian. How are you? Hi, thank you, Darshan. Thank you for having Awam on this space. I'm good. I'm good. Let's start with an overview, Lillian. Um, what were your overall thoughts on the incident involving Luis Rubiales and Jenny Hermoso? Okay, so when we first heard about the incident, I was gen- genuinely concerned, uh, but it allowed us to uh, reflect deeply uh, as it is crucial to approach these kind of situations with a discerning eye, taking into account factors such as consent, power dynamics, and also cultural context. By doing so, we can better understand the broader implications these incidents might carry. Right. So how do you interpret the act of Rubiales kissing Jenny Hermoso? Um, you know, you, you thought about it, you had time to self-reflect. Um, how, how do you interpret the kiss? And is this considered a, a professional setting? Yeah, so the interpretation of such acts depends on the context as well. Mm -hmm. But this uh, took place during a professional sport event. So it raises the question about professionalism and appropriate behaviour in this class setting. So it's also in your workspace and whatnot, right? So this setting could be seen as a professional one. It's a sporting event where personal gestures may not always align with the professional atmosphere. Right. So, um, would you then consider this particular event sexual harassment? Yes. So, sexual harassment, we always define it as an unwelcome advance or a con- uh, and a conduct of a sexual nature that creates discomfort and uh, oppressive feelings towards the recipient. So, while um, despite the, the lack of details that we have in the context of uh, what has happened, the discomfort expressed uh, by Miss Herboso initially does raise concern about the nature of the interaction. So if she does feel uncomfortable by it, as she mentioned, then it is would consider as, as sexual harassment. Right. So in your view, does this incident raise concerns about boundaries and consent in the sports industry? 
Yeah, absolutely. This is um, absolutely it. incidents like this raises the important question where boundaries are drawn, uh, especially in a social setting, in a professional setting, in the workplace and whatnot, and how this consent is established, uh, in this case, in the sports industry. Lah. So it's ensuring that all interactions, regardless of gender, are respectful and consensual is vital for a healthy and safe environment and to safeguard the industry itself. So, you know, do you think that, um, you know, there is often a, a sense of disconnect, right? Because, and, and that's why I, I um, purposely asked the question whether this is considered a professional setting, right? Because do you get the sense that sometimes there's a disconnect among the masses, right? When it comes to, yes. let's say, um, if, an, if it's an office, a corporate office, mm-hmm. that is professional setting. But if it's a, a let's say, a, a, a sporting event or a concert event and things like that, um, a lot of people don't look at these things as a professional setting. Do you think there's a disconnect there? Yeah, absolutely. And this is also where the uh, reflection about culture comes in. So in the Asian culture, right, like where we come from, Malaysia, let's say, so uh, we have, I, I would say that we are more uh, permanent in our boundaries and whatnot. So um, we I, uh, we can't say the same, that our culture does not reflect on uh, other, other places and other areas as well. So... Uh, there lives a gap in that question, lah. I would say that would uh, that is uh, that I would say that the culture context of it will be able to uh, reflect on that. Right. Um, do you think this incident is also reflective of larger issues regarding gender inequality in sports? So it can be indicative of gender inequality. So treating female athletes as objects of celebration rather than focusing on their achievements can perpetuate these harmful stereotypes. It is essential to celebrate their skills and accomplishments just as we do with male athletes. So again, it goes back to um, the notion of uh, gender stereotyping and the uh, expectation of what a woman is supposed to be first. Yeah. Right. Could you expand on that a little bit, this idea of gender stereotyping, uh, what women are supposed to uh, or, or are expected to do? What do you mean by that? Okay, so we, I guess I, w- I would say uh, in the past 20 years or so, we are, most of us grew up in a generation where media sexualizes the image of women. And they... Um, I would say that it created it created some kind of an expectation on what is acceptable for women and whatnot based on our cultural context. Like for example, um, like how we victimize people if they wear if they dress inappropriately, they are asking for it. This kind of things, like. So I guess I hope that would explain well. <laughs> right, uh, from a gender equality perspective, right? You you brought up you know the stereotypes mm-hmm. of how um you know these kinds of incidents can and can perpetuate certain stereotypes can perpetuate certain toxic cultures. What could be the impact of such incidents on young athletes and even aspiring um, professionals? Yeah, so this is very crucial for us to remember and try to. I uh, try to work together because this will affect the status and the uh, sports industry of our nation. So, of course, every country, including Malaysia, is aspired to produce as much 
uh, professional athletes as we could, right? So these incidences can send mixed messages to young athletes, suggesting that appearance and personal interaction might overshadow their skill. Uh, it can also discourage uh, them from growing their aspirations in the sports world. But most importantly, it reinforces the stereotype, which will um, prolong this whole cycle of gender stereotyping and uh, gender op uh, objectification and so on and so forth. All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Lillian Koch, Program Manager at the All Women's Action Society, AWAM. After the break, we discuss power imbalances in these types of situations. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Lillian Koch, Program Manager at the All Women's Action Society, AWAM. And we're discussing an incident that took place after the finals of the Women's World Cup, where in celebration, President of the Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, kissed striker Jenny Hermoso on the lips. So Lillian, I want to ask, right, um, we, we talk about um, this idea of of whether it's a professional setting, um, whether it constitutes sexual harassment. But the question is, is it acceptable if the person on the receiving end is okay with it? Because that, if, if the person on the receiving end is okay with it, it would imply that there is consent. So, for example, initially in the live stream, um, Homoso said that she didn't like it. But later on, she mentioned um, that it's, um, and I quote, a natural gesture of affection. Um, the president and I have a great relationship. His behavior with all of us has been outstanding. And it was a natural gesture of affection and gratitude. How do you process all of this? Okay, so again, as we've mentioned earlier in the se section, uh, sexual harassment is defined as any act of a sexual nature that is unwelcome and unwanted. So we do have incidences where consent is given under duress, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes also when some people, um, there are many factors that, that uh, raises why consent is given under duress. So in, when we give our uh, awareness or outreach programs on sexual arrest or anti-sexual harassment, we talk about um, a situation called coercion. Right. Or else in uh, Bahasa Malaysia is paksaan lah. So as from the BM word itself is force, right? Coercion. So this usually happens in a uh, in a situation where the power dynamics and uh, a hierarchical structure exists. So uh, for example, let's say an, um, a senior manager uh, coerces an intern. So the intern might feel like uh, uh, he or she. Would have is in no position to reject. Let's say even for a simple thing like, for example, um, if the senior manager asks the intern to go and go all the way downstairs to get a cup of coffee, maybe the intern doesn't want it. And but they are coerced to do that. They're forced to do that. They feel that oh, if I, you know this is the senior manager, if I don't do it, my job is on the line. Right. So your my, their job and their livelihood and their uh, uh, their their professional progress is on the line. So this will also stretch out to uh, the education institution, the sports institution, institution as well, where you get these kind of power dynamics, the coach, the players, the lecturer, the students, and then so on and so forth. So um, when, they, when these kind of power dynamics uh, 
comes into play, uh, athletes such as uh, Ms. Homoso might feel pressure to downplay the discomfort due to this power imbalance. So it is possible, uh, I would say, I will use the word uh, possible very strongly here, that Ms. Homoso's changing perspective was influenced by various factors, including her relationship um, and the concern about the consequences. So her relationship with Mr. Rubialesa. Right. And I think that's very important to understand, right? Could you elaborate further on this concept, right? Um, what is the difference between consent, regular consent, um, you know, and, and the most important part, and consent under duress? So um, I would like to talk about this in a Malaysian context. Right. So... We Malaysians, we are very polite people. We are very friendly and we, we like Malaysia boleh. <laughs> so, semua pun boleh. Everything also can, 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 right? Even if you, um, I guess we would say that we are too, I wouldn't say too shy or too, uh, too shy to say no or whatever, right? But it's a, there is a culture, a deep-rooted uh, culture of respect in our society. Right that makes it very hard for us to say no to certain groups of people sometimes when, when we are communicating to groups of certain people sometimes. For example, the elderly or someone in a senior position or even your friends or so. It's very difficult to say no to your friends, right? So um, this is also what we try to make people understand. Mm -hmm. When consent, um, when con consent is beyond just a verbal yes, it's also what you don't see the body language, right? So if I'm really excited to do something, of course, I will say, yes, yes, Dashan, I would like to go to Tonki with you right. and you know, get some good breakfast. But if I were to say like, mm, you know, I have a long pause or I have, I, I, I display any other nonverbal hesitation, um, the other party should, uh, I wouldn't say should be able, but uh, should um could be a little bit more vigilant and could be a little bit more open in uh, reading what the other person wants. And that is when we say that understanding the power dynamics. Right. Sometimes when we are in, oh, sorry. Sometimes we are in a workplace setting. I just want to describe this first, yes. right? I just also want to bring up the case about the sayang in the office. Right. Right. So uh, we know that the office is a professional setting. Right. Uh, there are instances where sometimes there are some colleagues who are comfortable with certain colleagues, maybe because they've been working for a long time and so on and so forth. But this is where we also define uh, uh, sexual harassment as uh, as it goes beyond, as it affects just an individual. Sometimes it's also people around you who feels uncomfortable with your interaction with someone who's comfortable with how you interact. But that but again, it goes back to uh, how we read the room, how we understand the setting um, that we are in, and right. also our cultural context, uh, so what is acceptable. Let's talk about the power dynamics part a bit, um, because... Uh, people might question, right? And, and people might say, okay, um, if it's, uh, you know, one person is an adult and, uh, and someone is a teenager, for example, um, a coach is an adult or a president of an association is an adult and we're dealing with teenage teenagers. So you can say, you know, you cannot give consent. Children cannot give consent and, and that's a clear violation. But I think a lot of times, maybe you have heard this argument or, or this debate before as well, where people will ask, but this involves two adults. 
it involves um, you know people of the same age or people of um, you know who who can make decisions um, for themselves. Um, so how do you um, you know sort of respond to that? Um, and and how do you let's say when you look at this question, it's a it's a foot, uh, footballer and a president of an association. Um, you know it could be a boss and and, and an employee, so on and so forth. How do you contextualize that? So we know that you cannot take a person's word for it. You cannot accept a person's consent if they are under uh, some kind of an influence. Let's say they took some medication, okay, or they are unconscious. You uh, that that is probably what is uh, what we feel that is obvious, lah. Yeah, but uh, the age itself does not matter because it's about how the dynamics of the situation would be the outcome for the person. So, like we say, like just now what you mentioned that um, it's between two adults, but what does one adult, what is the effect, what is the negative or what is the impact of the, receive, the receiving adult if they decide to reject the proposal of the um, of the, the, the person who's asking for the consent? So that, that, in fact, I feel that as an adult, we tend to think more. We tend to feel more about how our decisions will affect our life. So that is, I would say, uh, I wouldn't strongly say it's under duress or whatnot. But to a certain extent, there is some, there is a, pre- a certain pressure like, to to not um, cloud the situation any further. Absolutely. Because there is a question, isn't it, where, you know, we're not talking about her specifically because, like you said, um, it's it's about what is possible in this case because at the end of the day, we have to take her word for it um, and that's the news that we have. But using it as an example, um, you know, if you have a president of a football association and an athlete, you know, if they say they don't want or they don't like something, will they get to play again? Will they get fired from the team? Um, you know, will they face pressures, um, you know, indirect or indirect pressures from different powerful people within the organisation? And then that's the end of their, their athletic or footballing career, mm-hmm. isn't it? Also, it's also the relationship with the, uh, with the general public as well. How are the, the perception of other people? So, um, Unfortunately, for victims of gender-based violence, there is uh, very little to no support within the community sometimes. Like, for example, we see domestic violence, people don't, um, people tend to think that we don't want to get into other people's businesses. In situations of sexual harassment or sexual assault, we have seen cases where uh, the victims are not being believed. So there is that fear, that uh, fear from uh, backlash, fear of backlash of society as well that exists. So that also can influence um, a person's choice. So uh, no need, no, no need, no need to mention that Miss Formoso is a is someone prominent within uh, within the society and the community, and also Mr. Rubiales as well is also someone prominent. So they exist two very prominent people, but how it impacts them both um, is very different. Absolutely. Now. Do you also think there is this tendency, and I'm broadening this conversation, right? Um, and 
I'm wondering if there's this tendency to treat women as prizes or objects of celebration, right? Especially at sporting events. I mean, Luis Rubiales, he's the president of, of the Spanish Football Association. I have never seen him kiss any male football players um, in celebration. Not, not that I want him to. Obviously, we don't want that as well. Um, you know, consent is important regardless. But I'm saying we don't see this, right? Oh, the male football team wins and then the president comes, grabs uh, the top scorer, the male, and then kisses him on the lips. You, you, you don't see these kinds of things. How, how do you view this? Well, unfortunately, um, I would have to say in sports itself, uh, women are, are more often objectified and we can see it here in Malaysia as well with our local athletes. Yeah. Um, in the case with the gymnast, right uh, before this, and she, uh, the focus was on her outfit instead of her skills and accomplishment. And this also um, stretches out to uh, roles of women in sports, women who are not competing. For example, we get, um, we have the, the uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the uh, talks of the great girls with the Formula One race, right? So there was a talk to ban, or I think they did want to ban, but some some of the races flaunted those bans, so I can't really comment much about it. But uh, the existence um, of the ladies there, is, it, it focuses on how we objectify women and, uh, and in placement of sports events, because I feel that maybe perhaps we focus that sport. We are uh, we target sports events for male, uh, male, um, male spectators. I just want to echo what you've mentioned just now about um, the objectification of women in sports, despite their achievement. Uh, this practice perpetuates harmful stereotypes, as I've mentioned earlier. So it just carries on and con- uh, prolongs this whole ring of uh, gender stereotypes towards women, and it diverts the attention from what really women can contribute in in terms of uh, in the sports industry. So this goes beyond their participation as an athlete. So we have a lot of very good uh, women researchers, women trainers, and so on and so forth that can encourage more women to participate in sports. So um, we don't want to get all these narratives to hamper uh, our efforts uh, by, by you know, all this objectification attitude. So to answer how to achieve this equality, right, we must emphasize, we must uh, yeah, emphasize and really celebrate the achievements as we do with male athletes. So this is mean that we need to uh, put more effort into recognizing the skills and providing opportunities and maintaining respectful behavior and treatment for all athletes. So more awareness programs among themselves, uh, more awareness or management, uh, sexual harassment management programs with the leaderships in the sports industry. Yeah, that would be that would be good. And also most importantly, right, mobilization and understanding from the general public because they are the spectators. You know, most of the time, we um, the sports industry uh, would deliver what spectators want. So, suspect, support us from spectators to demand for uh, gender equality in the, in the game is uh, it's also very important. 
Absolutely. And on that note, before we wrap this conversation up, um, how can athletes, you know, fans, um, general public contribute to creating a more inclusive and respectful environment for women athletes? Okay, so first of all, I'd like to start with organizations, right? So the the uh, everyone that is under the sports industry would uh, is obligated, I would say, I would use the word, is obligated to establish clear code of conducts uh, to pro- and provide more gender sensitive sensitivity training uh, within their stakeholders, to their members, to their athletes, to their leadership, to their coaches, and so on. And as for the public, uh, fans and general public, this includes the media as well. We can try to focus into celebrating women's uh, women athletes' skills and focus on the kind of challenges that they face, so that the public will be aware of um, of the difficulties and uh, have can have a little bit more empathy towards women athletes. So also how the media reports women uh, women in sports. This goes the same. It's the same as how. Uh, they need a little bit of sensitivity and uh, a bit more emphasis on achievements when media reports about women in in, polit- in politics as well. So athletes themselves, they can uh, continue to express their concerns. If they have any concerns, they should uh, stand together and stand against anything that is obstructing them, especially when it comes to uh, gender-based violence uh, misconduct and uh, supporting each other from everybody that's the that's the most important because victimization uh, is the main reason why people don't speak up and we need to really curb that culture uh, and to create an environment which is really inclusive and empowering for everyone so this will include works from the NGO such as our as well and on that note Lillian thank you so much for joining me today Thank you, Dashan. That was Lillian Cox. She's the Program Manager at the All Women's Action Society, AWAM. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.